The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. Welcome to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Fascinating interviews and compelling conversations. Be present. The Diane Ray Show. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Diane Ray, and I'm so glad you could be present with me for a few minutes today, spinning around there out uh, in the Internet, (laughs) the wilds of the Internet. coast to coast globally all over the place so this is pretty cool and I'm actually I do this show live and of course it's available for podcasts later I push it out to all of the podcast providers so hopefully you can grab me somewhere Apple um, Stitcher Google Play Spotify we're on all of those things so I'm glad you can join me because I've got a really cool and interesting guest here today and we're going to have an amazing conversation so uh, it was funny I was talking to uh, my guest a little bit before the launch of the show um, about the book that we're going to be talking about today and I'll say the title once okay <laughs> and people might freak out you know a little bit and then we'll call it by its pseudonym after that so when I first picked up the book manifesting is for pussies or MIFP as we'll call it um, you know I was telling the author Alex Woodard that you know when I first saw the book in the title I was like what you know what is this I'm not quite sure what I'm going to do with this and I even called his publicist who's a friend of mine and I'm like what am I supposed to do with this book you know and then we laughed kind of talked about it and actually as I read it and I got into it it it's really something original and really something that needs to be shared and and I hope you guys all check it out so it's awesome so let me introduce you to Alex I'm like kind of jumping all over here but I want to let you guys know who I'm talking to today so I first met Alex Woodard during my Hay House radio days and he's a musician an incredible musician and a speaker and Alex is the creator author and producer of the popular for the sender series of books and albums featuring Grammy award-winning artist. And we're going to talk a little bit about that project too, because it was just so amazing. So I met Alex when uh, Hay House published this project and put it out there into the world. And we did a special taping, I remember, at the Hay House offices one day with Alex and some of the musicians. 
And I remember just being blown away by this project. It was just really special. So we'll we'll talk about that too. So Alex, you know, what I, I didn't know is that he's also an amazing writer and he shares some incredible insights in his book, MIFP, <laughs> Manifesting awesome. is for You, you Know What. Um, so Alex, yeah. welcome to the show. I mean, I know it was kind of like a disjointed, you know, weird intro, but this is such a cool, unique project. And I'm so glad that I really dove into it and read the book and we'll be able to share some of your your ideas and your your insights with this. So this is really cool. So let me first tell people as well. Now the book is written in a pseudonym of Tweety Park. So Tweety Park is otherwise known as AKA Alex Woodard. So I thought this was hilarious when, when I first saw the book and the title of the author. So I have to ask you now, Tweety Park, you had to have gotten that name from one of those Facebook games where you get your porn star name. Yes, that's right. <laughs> Although it was, uh, you know, we've been playing that game since I was like, you know, 12. And so I already had it kind of ready to go. It's the, uh, what is it? It's the first pet and the street you grew up on, right? So it's right, uh, our first right. pet was this little bird that my sister rec- rescued from the pool in the backyard. And uh, name, we named it Tweety. And I grew up on Park Avenue in Long Beach, California. So that's where that came from. That's hilarious. I was trying to figure mine because I was laughing when I saw the the author name. So mine would be GG 39th Avenue. <laughs> oh, my God. You know? well, see, it rarely doesn't work. And even that works like the GG, just the GG is awesome. So you know. yeah, it's a, it was well, it's it was a great. very creative given kind of the title of the book and where where I was going with it. It seemed like, a, you know, when I first started started writing it, it was more kind of a series of like observations that turned into rants. And it felt like it was this alter ego. It was, it was this other voice in me that I know everybody's got that little voice that's kind of running and observing all the time, but they often don't say what they are observing. Um, Tweety. So I thought it would be appropriate to have like this entire project and this book go under a pseudonym because it is kind of like an alter ego, right? It's still me, but it's just a different side of me. And it obviously you, you referenced for the sender, earlier and it's an it's written in an extremely different voice than the for the center stuff so i wanted to uh you know to kind of have a degree of separation because if you pick this book up thinking you're going to get exactly what you got with the for the center books which people really liked um you know you're going to be in for a bit of a bit of a shock so that's where the pseudonym came from Absolutely. It's a totally different voice from For the Sender, you know, like night and day. And being in radio as long as I have, I, I totally get the comfort and anonymity of a pseudonym. And I've used various pseudonyms, you know, over the years in different radio incarnations. I mean, mostly I've been Diane Ray, but even Diane Ray is kind of a a made up situation. Although Diane is my real name, my given name, my, my real like legal last name is, is totally different, you know? So it does kind of give you a, a, you know, a sense of anonymity. And of course, working with people in the radio industry, you know, I've had friends like, you know, Johnny fever, you know, stuff like that. So it, it's cool. I mean, and I encourage people to get one if they don't have one, <laughs> you know, no, it is but I it's guess very liberating, do. actually. And, you know, it's quite, it it's is. Quite and, and I think we kind of have that in a way with, um, you know, all of the social media and everything, everyone's got a handle or a Twitter name or something like that. So the, the world may be on to the, the freedom and fun 
of having the pseudonym. But but what's interesting about the book, um, I mean, I don't know if you're committing marketing suicide or if it's marketing genius to <laughs> to come up with that title. Right. And, and had, so how did that come about? Was it just like after you had this collaboration of, of thoughts that you put on paper, you know, that's what you wanted to have. The yeah. Time. Well, you know, it, it, it's happened because, um, as you know, I was part of the Hay House community there for, for quite a long time with the three books and the three albums. And, and I had a really good relationship with, with Wayne Dyer and a lot of the, um, you know, more inspiring people that, uh, that are on Hay House. And, uh, as I was writing in this voice, um, as I kind of referenced before, the book started out with me looking around me and being like, wait, what's, why are you doing, why are you doing that? You know, like a good example is right down here. Uh, this is how the book starts actually right down the street. There's a, uh, a nature preserve and, you know, people take their dogs through there. I've got three dogs and four horses and a bunch of chickens. Like I got a lot of animals, so I get it. Um, and, uh, but after their dogs do their business, so to speak, some people pick up the dog poop in like a bag, you know, which you should do, right? That's what you're supposed to do. But they just leave it there, like expecting somebody else to get it. And it happens all the time. And I've got many friends who live in different parts of the country and it happens in the most random places. Like people think somebody else is supposed to handle that stuff, right? So when I would see moments like that, I'd be like, what, what is that? And I'd run home and write about it. And as I kind of, you know, got a collection of these observations together, um, it was feeding into this other side of me that had just gotten through the Hay House experience, right? And and we can talk about that later. But um, but the the voice that I was writing in was really kind of uh, cynical, you know, and sarcastic and kind of grumpy about these people doing these things that you know I didn't approve of. Uh, and so that's where the title, the MIFP came from because I was kind of <laughs> poo pooing the, so to speak, the, uh, the idea of manifesting, right. Which is, is not the case since you read the book, you know, I'm not saying that at all. I'm, I'm, I'm actually saying that manifesting is, is you become whatever you are. And that sounds, uh, sort of obvious, but you know, if you're, if you want to be, uh, something different. If you want to affect some kind of change in your life, you you have to be it, right? And at this point in my life uh, that I reference in the book, I was, uh, you know, I wasn't really happy with where I was at, and it's I was, it's because of the way I was behaving. You know, I was. If you if you're kind of feeling like you're stuck, you know, and you're on the couch all the time, and you're not getting out there into the world, well, you got to get off the couch, right? And I was on the couch and I was just kind of realized, you know, I'm where I'm at because of these decisions that I'm making. So that's where the whole manifesting idea came into the book. It's not saying that manifesting isn't uh, valid. It's saying that, you know, whatever, whatever you are right now, however, you, however you're behaving is really going to impact, you know, the next breath and the breath after that and next week and next month and next year. So that's where the title came from. And I also reference. uh, Cats, you know, is a, a, the the title is a euphemism for cats, and I kind of go back and say, wait, wait, I'm not talking about the the bad word here. I'm talking about cats, and I I have I know many people who are cat people, so everyone just 
Relax. Uh, I, all I'm saying is that, you know, cats kind of do their own thing and they slink through the world and they're kind of, they decide who they want to be friends with and who they don't want to be. You know, they're, they're, they've got a very unique, uh, ne- unique way of being as opposed to dogs. And so that's where that reference came from. And so naming the book that, yeah, it was, it was kind of a risk, but at the same time, like my intent with this was just to circulate it by hand. Like I printed up, like I did with For the Sender, I printed up, you know, I don't know, a thousand copies maybe, and uh, just started giving them away just to get it out into the world. And that's exactly what I had done with For the Sender. And before you knew it, uh, you know, the momentum started to kind of uh, creep up because it turns out a lot of people see the things that I see and are saying to themselves, wait, that's not okay. You know, we live in this, this kind of culture now where everything has to be okay. Like everybody's behavior has to, we have to approve of it all. And the book is kind of taking a stand and saying, you know what, some stuff, some stuff just isn't okay. And, uh, you know, it's okay to, to make a, make a, a stand and you can call it a judgment if you want, but you know, we can all kind of agree that you probably shouldn't leave bags of dog poop out in the nature preserve you know that's that's well, kind I, of can, a, a <laughs> I can definitely thing. agree with that yeah that's just common courtesy I mean and it's so funny when when you open with that when I started getting into the book and, and I actually I, I lived in Austin uh for a year this this is a while back like maybe 20 years ago and I actually called the city because people were leaving dog poop <laughs> like on the trail in the city right and I complained right. about it because it bothered me so much and I do notice when people leave it like a gift wrap package that you're, totally. you're supposed to you know do something with so it, it's so funny that you're calling that out I love that and I love the I mean, the many insights that you share in the book are really fun. And I know that we've got to be, you know, close to the same age. I might be, you know, a few years older than you, but I totally related to a lot of the, you know, the insights and, and the attitude that you share. And the book is described as a raw, vulnerable story of Gen X midlife fatigue. And I'm like, oh, yeah, <laughs> I'm feeling yeah, the Gen but... X midlife fatigue. You know, I mean, I'm kind of on the cusp. I was born in 65. So I'm like, depending on which study you, you read, I'm at the tail end of the baby boom, like the beginning of, of the Gen Xers. But, you know, definitely came of age in the 70s and 80s. And so I totally relate to the e-ticket ride at Disney. Like, I remember, you know, having those and... And, you know, just some of the fun things and slices of life that you shared in the book and the cat. I'm glad you brought up the cat, too, because I was going to mention you seem like a dog guy. And then this cat pops up as kind of the, uh, you know, the mascot, so to speak, of the book. And I was going to ask you if you are the artist of the, the cat pictures in the book. Oh, great question. No, those are. um drawn by my friend Jordan Pundick, who is also the lead singer of an extremely popular multi-platinum band called Newfound Glory. And Jordan was a big part, or is a big part, of the For the Center project. That's how we got to be friends, uh, is I, I recruited him for that. And over the last you know, 10, 12 years, we've gotten really close. So he's the singer of this band, but he's also an incredible artist. And so I had talked to him about this and said, you know, I got this idea for this book. What do you think? And he said, man, I would, I could definitely, you know, draw some, some of those scenes for you, like the one we just talked about, right. And with, with the dog poop and the nature preserve, he, he illustrated all of these, this stuff, which is awesome. And it was his, you know, the, the cover of the book is a cat 
because of the title, uh, with a little wizard uh, hat on, and uh, I, you know, that he came up with that, and I thought that was so brilliant. So he lent his talent to. Uh, I don't know. I think there's got to be like 20 or 25 drawings throughout the book that are are pretty special, and it was kind of his his vision of what I was writing about. So I figured, you know, this is a unique kind of book anyway, so I'll just I'll include these drawings too. And I also like make up words as I go along um, in the book, and I I defined those. So I make up these words. Like I have uh, what was one like text gap, right? That's when you are driving and you see somebody next to you or in front of you or whatever who's texting on the phone and they leave you know a couple car lengths minimum between them and the person in front of them right that's like this <laughs> big old gap that doesn't need to be there uh so i call that a text gap which i define in the books so i just had fun with it you know you kind of referenced uh what i was uh, going for as far as talking about my childhood in the 80s right all these references of this this time when when we were growing up and, and the, the whole approach to the book was so different than the uh before the sender series it, it was about not taking myself too seriously as i was writing it the person in the book you know my alter ego his problem is that he's taking himself way too seriously but me as a writer I got to have fun with it, which was really liberating for me. You know, it's, uh, it was, I don't, I wouldn't say it was never intended to be released like this, but once I started, like I said, kind of like, I'd even send out the little, little vignettes that I was writing to friends and to, you know, people I thought might think it was funny or might relate. And the response was so strong. I, I just, that's why everything came together into this, uh, this unit. Uh, this one kind of cohesive piece uh, that is the MIFP book. And, and there'll be another one too. I'll do another one after this because the, the response has been so strong. So my talking to you now is kind of the first getting it out into the world in a, in a broader sense. You know, and I, I talked to a mutual friend of yours and mine and, and she thought, you know, Diane, Diane might love it. And I'm really glad that you, uh, you gave it a chance, right? And you got past the, the, the title, as it were, and, and got into the, the meat of the book because that was my whole intent. My whole intent here is to kind of challenge you a little bit at the start. But then as you get to know me and the character in the book, um, I think that uh, you see a, a lot more heart, right? The, the, there's a lot of heart in this book, uh, which you might not, might not have, have guessed by just looking at the cover. No, it's I definitely found a, a lot of heart in the book and I really in, enjoyed the the vignettes and the stories, you know, once I I got into it. And you know, and tell your friend that the drawings are super cute too. I love the I will. the cats. <laughs> the cats yeah. in the book are great. Now, I want to explain to the listeners if people are feeling like a little confused or maybe like, "What? What's going on here?" So, I want to just tell people a little bit about the For the Sender projects and what that was because Alex is, you know, like I mentioned in the beginning of an amazing, you know, working musician. He has been for years and he created this incredible project called for the sender. And can you just explain a little bit about that? Absolutely. You know, uh, we got a dog the in the background. <laughs> oh yeah. Right. Well, you might hear that. We have a few of them here. Um, uh, the, live radio. It happens. Yeah. The, uh, the idea behind For the Sender was uh, it all started with a letter. The quick story is I got a letter when I was in a kind of a low spot as a musician from a fan. And she had just lost or had recently lost her soulmate. And 
she'd written him a letter. And because she thought my songs were parts of me that I was putting out into the world, um, she wanted to give me a piece of herself. And that was this letter uh, that she had written to her soulmate. And he had since died, but she wanted to tell him where she was at and how she was doing. And she hoped things were good uh, where he was. It was a really beautiful letter, so much so that I was compelled to write a song about it with a friend of mine. And that one song about that one letter turned into this entire project where we take people's songs, sorry, people's letters, and we write songs about them. And then we donate the proceeds from the songs to causes that the letter senders choose, right? So that's why it's called For the Sender. And I take the songs and the lyrics and I, I wrap the backstories all together into a book. So when you get like a For the Sender book, you actually get the book and the music um, all together. It's this sort of a different way of, of getting stories out into the world. And I did that. I, I don't know. I think I got like four letters and I did three songs about each one of them, which with a bunch of friends here in San Diego and wrote this book around those songs and those lyrics. And then we did a, a benefit show at La Paloma, which is a old historic theater here. And I had the books there just to give away. And that's how one of those books ended up, ended up into a, her, she's a, she's a friend now. I didn't know her at the time. Um, and she walked that book, uh, into Wayne Dyer's hands and Wayne, uh, Wayne really thought that it was something different and something special. And so Wayne kind of shepherded it into a, uh, into a deal with Hay House that, uh, which is where I was for, uh, three books, three books and three albums and those, that whole cycle. So we still do the For the Sender events, and the shows are very popular, and it's uh, something I've kind, of, I've kind of got it down to, like, big shows every quarter. So, like, four times a year we do something pretty significant uh, in a different part of the country, and uh, it keeps me going. It's great. So we still, we still get letters. We still write songs about them. Um, and this, the book that we're talking about now is kind of a good um, – it's a good balance to that, right, because – the for the sender stuff is very it's very moving and it's very uh it's not sad per se but it's it's definitely kind of emotionally gripping and driven uh and it's somebody else's story right it's me writing about somebody else's story for the most part so this right. book that we're talking about now was me writing about my own story which was uh which was fun to do it was uh something i hadn't done you know ever really definitely not in a published sense so Right. And I very agree. different. Well, and well, what I was going to say is, you know, what's so cool about both of these projects, and I urge people to check out the For the Sender projects if you haven't heard the music or read the stories. It really is heartwarming. I mean, it really does tug on your heartstrings. And what what's so cool about the For the Sender and also for the, the Tweety Park book, the manifesting book, is that things kind of happened you know, very synchronistically, right? Just the, the way they were supposed to. I mean, is Absolutely. that how you felt when it, when it came together? Oh yeah. And you can see that much better 2020, right? Like a little, a little bit further down the road when you look back. Uh, but yes, there's definitely kind of a, there's like a trusting the process element to, to it. Um, and as I said earlier, when I first started writing this book, um, it was very, uh, let me turn that off. Um, 
it was more kind of a series of, of rants, you know, and, uh, and it wasn't really delivered in any kind of cohesive narrative. Right. And, uh, as I, you know, played with it more like when you're writing, you go in and out and in and out of a lot of different, uh, at least I do when I'm writing a lot of different vehicles, right. As far as how you're going to tell the story. And the one that I finally settled on was the one that's the most authentic to me, the one that's most about me. Uh, and I thought that, uh, it started out to be honest with you, like Tweety Park started out as I had this vision of a, some lady living in a trailer park in her, you know, mid to late sixties, smoking a cigarette, looking around at all this, the, what the world's come to, you know, one of those things and saying, God, what is this about? That's how it started. And, uh, as I wrote more, I realized, you know what, I'm really writing about myself here. And so I'm going to be a little more honest about it. And so I was, you know, as, as you know, in the, the stories that I tell, uh, I'm very honest and very open and very vulnerable about uh, kind of what formed me. And that's a big part of this book that, that wasn't there initially. And uh, that is definitely a, a 2020 thing. Looking back, that's that this, this is what it's supposed to be. And had I put out, uh, put it out, you know, a year and a half ago when I, I thought I was done, then I wouldn't have been able to, you know, have something that resonated as deeply with me. And the, and the truth is, as you know, when you're, when you write personally, it becomes a lot more universal. It's that way in songwriting. It's that way with books. It's that way with just about anything creative. Uh, when you make it, when you make it really personal, uh, it, it's like a, a strange, ironic mirror. It becomes that much more universal. So I'm happy with where the, right. the book got to. That's for sure. No, I, I love it. And I hope people check it out and give it a read because it is very raw. It's very honest. It's very real. And I think that that is going to resonate with people. They're going to see that, you know, this is this is a, a part, a piece of you, like a part of you, very authentic. And I I really enjoyed it, you know, more more than I thought <laughs> from when I first <laughs> right, picked it right. up and re read the title, you know, I was like, what? Um, but it's it's personal, you know, kind of kind of essays. Um, in that form, um, different stories and, and feelings and ideas that you've had. I mean, what were, I was curious of what some of your favorite authors were growing up and maybe how that might've influenced you in, in writing this. You know, that's a good question. I think that, um, as soon as I was old enough to understand where Steinbeck was coming from, I really loved him. You know, I think that when you're, when you're in junior high reading Grapes of Wrath, you don't, necessarily get it right you get it later but uh not that young uh but a lot of the storytelling elements um were more I, this is going to sound crazy but uh stephen king i was a huge stephen king fan when i was very young you know like 9 10 11 and when i really started reading a lot and i, I devoured everything he put out and the way that he writes you know he tends to write with in very short vignettes you know his chapters generally are short and he's got a great book about writing actually that i just read if anybody's aspiring out there it's it's fantastic um but anyway he was kind of the master of this storytelling in short form but as part of a narrative right as part of like a big novel his chapters are short and as a reader i feel like that really keeps you engaged you know it's and it's just even from the visuals perspective right you don't look at a page and see like you know 
Whoa, we got some music going on. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Knew that would catch your attention. We're going to take a short break and we'll talk more about your influences, more of what you were thinking as you were writing. You're listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to Be Present, the Diane Ray Show. Welcome back to the show, everybody. I'm so glad you could join me at this particular moment in time. Um, I'm one of the dinosaur diehards that still believes in live radio. <laughs> Although many of you listening to the show will be listening uh, later on to the podcast, which is cool too. So um, at any rate, we are continuing a conversation here. I'm talking with Alex Woodard, who has written an amazing new book under the pseudonym Tweety Park. And I'll say the title one more time, Manifesting is for Pussies. MIFP, as we will call it, uh, moving forward. And uh, you know, during the break, I just chatted with Alex real quick um, about his experience of, you know, coming from uh, as a as a rock musician, you know, working musician, you're touring around, traveling with a bunch of guys, then you put this project together that lands serendipitously into the lap of one of the leading uh, self help teachers and publishers, you know, or you know, speakers of our generation, Dr. Wayne Dyer. And Wayne fell in love with your book and your project, kind of took you under the wing. And the next thing you know, you're on stage uh, with Dr. Dyer at one of these big self-help conferences. And I just, I have to ask, what what was that like? You know, what was going through your mind at that moment? It, it was definitely, it was surreal. Because uh, as I talked to you about, and I actually, thinking about it, I, I wrote about it in one of the For the Sender books. Like the first time that I saw Wayne was on a PBS special, like so many of us do. And I was living in Seattle and I was trying to make it as a musician. And God, I don't know, this is probably mid-90s. And uh, he was he was saying on this PBS special, don't don't die with your music still in you, right? That was one of the tenets that he was he was highlighting. And I was watching that going, Oh my gosh, I've got music in me. I don't, I don't want to die with it in me. Okay. What do I got to do? You know, it was that, it was one kind of one of those moments that I'm never going to forget. And then fast forward 20 years. And I think we were in DC and maybe there was 4,500 people there, maybe 5,000 people. And I'm on stage with Wayne and it like surreal isn't the word because there was such a, it, it's like something much deeper than that because I, I became such a part of his world for a brief time and he became such a part of mine. You know, I mean, I wrote, I produced his daughter's album and we wrote a song about a letter that one of the daughters had written to him and his other daughter, Sky, sang it and we performed that live on his last PBS special. And uh, it turned out that that first book that I had written that he fell in love with, the first for the center book, Ended, ended up inspiring what would be his last book. And so we had a really special relationship. And uh, he was, as we've, we, you and I were kind of talking at the break, he was, he was very human. And that was the beautiful thing about him is he took all this wisdom and from his own failings as he looked at them or he, he would take wisdom from all these different sources and apply them to his life and then put them out there for us. 
and he was incredible at that, an incredible storyteller. Like I would go and see him every time we would do these events together. Obviously, I'd be in the audience watching him. And even if he was telling the same stories, it's still the time went by, you know, two and a half hours went by like 20 seconds. Um, and then uh, he was for me. Um, you know, we can, we were kind of talking about his, his humanity. I mean, I remember in Miami, we, I can't, I'm trying to remember now why, why we went up to his hotel room, but it, I think he is me and one of his daughters went up to talk to him or just to hang out. And he was, uh, he was just hanging out. He was a big basketball, basketball fan. And he was literally hanging out in his boxers on the couch, watching a Miami heat game. And he just says, sit down next to me and, you know, let's just watch the game, which we did for like an hour. And I forgot, even then I'd forgotten why I was there in the first place because, you know, Wayne's in his boxers and we're watching basketball. <laughs> and, and, and that was how, you know, it's one of the, one of the ways I'm going to remember him because he was, you know, there was, he was just, there's so much humility there. And, uh, even with the incredible impact and the change that he was making in other people's lives, he was, he was just human. And I think that was the real, real beautiful part. Uh, he wasn't trying to be anything, right? He was just him. And uh, that was, that was a really a special, special lesson for me. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, I've got a, a good friendship with, with Sky, one of his daughters now. And, and it's just, you know, he had such a, such a great impact uh, on everyone, but on me, especially as I, as I got to know him personally, that was really, if there's anything about the whole Hay House experience, you know, that six or seven years um, that, that I'm going to carry with me, it, it's that. that, that is, that's a really a highlight of my life is having that kind of relationship with him. When he died, I felt like, you know, a grandparent had died. I'd never had, yeah. he was kind of a father figure, but I'd never had a grandfather per se. And uh, they were all gone before I was born. And I felt like he was that guy to me. You know, so and not a day goes he by. Had, had that that I don't, role. He, yeah, exactly. He doesn't he doesn't pop into my head somehow. Well, he definitely loomed large, you know, for a lot of people and was a huge influence, um, helped so many people with his books and, and writings. And uh, and you got to have, um, you know, kind of a unique experience. Uh, you know, working with him. And yeah, I mean, he was just such a cool guy. And I really think that there's not anyone to take his place, you know? No, man, I don't see, yeah, I don't see any other real teachers in that, in that vein anymore. And, and I don't know, maybe some, you know, there's always hope, like there'll be some new people that'll come along, you know, that are really that authentic and, and really care, but he really did love people. And that really was, his passion, you know, he really wanted to help people find, you yeah. know, their music and, and it wasn't just a bunch of crap, you know, he really was sincere, you know, and he really did yeah. want to help people you know, I think with that. that, that so. His deal was very, um, it, I kind of can com- compare it to the book that we're talking about, the manifesting book now a little bit. I talk about it in that, not read in reference to Wayne, but the reason that I think that, you know, you're not seeing somebody come up to replace him right now is because Wayne wasn't curated, you know, he wasn't um, manufactured and kind of designed to, to get to a certain demographic. And he, he didn't, Wayne didn't care about metrics and he didn't, he did he, that wasn't his deal, right? And these days, a lot of the, at least from what I've, I 
my time at Hay House, uh, a lot of a lot of these uh, newer authors and and these these folks who think that they're thought leaders, that they're just aggregating other people's information and then like boxing it up in a way that is palatable, like as palatable as possible to a certain group, if that makes sense, right? So they're highly, highly curated brands. They're not people. Wayne, Wayne was a person and kind of what you saw was what you get. Um, and unfortunately now there's not, you know, there's so much influence, you know, like impact on, on, I don't know, people try to get their brands together and their images together before they get their actual message together, right? So it's almost like the message doesn't even matter. It's kind of more about right. about the image. And so, I mean, that's that's my take. Like Wayne was really, really, as you just kind of said, authentic. And a lot of what we're seeing now isn't, you know, to be honest. And and that does come up in the book that we're talking about too. I mean, I, I do. My frustration with that kind of comes up, and I, I don't reference Wayne in particular. Um, but I do reference my experience in the self-help world world quite a bit. Um, and that's something that I didn't have, you know, when I was at Hay House, I wasn't um, constantly like crafting and curating my image like I saw a lot of the younger authors around me doing. And, you know, sometimes I wonder if that had an impact on the degree of success I had because people want, you know, the the audience now seems to want that kind of quick hit, right? They want the... They want the um, the instant gratification side of of self improvement or inspiration or that kind of thing, and Wayne wasn't really about that. You know that that wasn't his that wasn't his deal, and I didn't want that to be my deal either. But unfortunately, I think right now both publishers, like the the kind of the gatekeepers, as it were, the first thing they're going to ask about is your social media presence, right? Exactly. They're going to ask about how many followers <laughs> you have. They're going to ask about all these different metrics that really have nothing to do with your message, right? So the idea behind right. this manifesting book, uh, like I said, I think I said that earlier, like I, I just printed up a bunch of physical copies initially just to, just to push it out into the world. There's not, there wasn't even an online presence. There's nothing. And I kind of wanted an antidote to what I had seen in the self-help world, right? And, and I know that Wayne saw it too, because we talked about it a lot, you know? And, and, and cause I would have questions about, like I talked to him about my path and, and where I was at and if I should be further along or what, you know, I would have all those kinds of self-doubts like we all do. And Wayne was really, right. uh, you know, he was, he was not a fan of just getting as big of a social media presence as you can and getting as good of videos together as you can. And, and he, that wasn't his deal. His deal was more no. fo focused on the message. As you know, I mean, you talk to him, like yeah. you said, once a week for eight years, which is incredible, you know? And it's so funny because he really did just care about the message. And I remember, you know, he would get on for the show and of course people would jam the phone lines that wanted to talk with him and he'd, he'd chat for a minute. Then he'd say, so, so do we have any calls? You know, like right. he didn't even care or even think that there would be a ton of people calling to talk with him. He didn't even think that there were people calling, you know? So he would always right. be pleasantly surprised like, Oh, it's so great. I'm like, yeah, Wayne, there's, you know, every line is jammed. So, yeah, he was definitely more about the message, and it really kind of um, ties in with a chapter that you have in the book. There's a great piece called Between a Rock and a Star Place, oh, you know, right. about creating right. music or any kind of art 
you know, in Wayne's case, writing, and he he would like wax poetic for hours just about writing, like he loved it just really so much, you know, and he would say, do what you love, do what you love. And, and I'm sure you had those conversations with him, like you said, you know, getting caught up in the idea of, well, I should be somewhere at, at this point in my life, or where's the payback, you know, what's the expectations, right. and that kind of thing. Right. And yeah. I mean, what do, you, what do you think about that, you know, as, as an artist? You know, I think that um, I have a song that I wrote a long time ago that's in a TEDx talk I did now called uh, I Thought I'd Be There By Now, which talks specifically to this. And I think that for a long time, you know, I as an artist, and I think a lot of artists suffer from this. I mean, I still do. It still happens to me. If you feel like you're only creating for yourself or you're kind of creating for a vacuum and nobody's going to hear or see or read or whatever, whatever you're doing, it's kind of hard to, to be inspired, right? Um, it, it's kind of hard to keep doing it every day if you think nobody's listening. And my, my challenge when I was coming up in the, uh, in the music world was, was I was always trying to get to the gatekeepers, right? I was trying to get to the people that made the big decisions and show them why I was, I was good enough. And what I should have been doing, which is what I talk about in that chapter you referenced, I should have been just building my own tribe, you know, and finding the people who loved what I did and building on that. And it was a little tougher back then. The internet wasn't quite, you know, social media sure, certainly wasn't was it, what it is now. But, um, but I, I think I could have been more creative in finding that, that audience um, myself. And Wayne was really good at that. He's got, I mean, that's how he started. I'm sure you heard the story. I mean, a lot of, most of us have, but we would talk about it in those hotel rooms afterwards about him, you know, going around with his, uh, his books in the back of his car. And right. it sounds like a cliche, cliche, but it's not that that's what he did. And he, uh, a great lesson that I learned from him actually, um, which is also kind of relates to the book is that, uh, you don't necessarily get to choose your audience, right? You, you put it out there and, and you see what, what, where it resonates and, and who loves what you're doing. If you're a painter, you know, you don't get to choose who loves what you're painting, right? If you're a sculptor, you don't get to choose that either, but you have to get it out there. And then once you see who is resonating and who connects with what you do as an artist, you build on that. Um, and that's what he did. Like he had this amazing, like, it, it's such a great story. We don't have time to go into it now probably, but he, the, the essence of it is he thought he knew what his quote demographic was when he wrote that first book that uh Euronia's zones book right he thought he knew right. who he was writing it for and somehow you know louise hay got got her hands on it and photocopied a bunch of copies and started giving it out to the people that she was working with in the in the gay community right back in the 80s and or no it was late 70s late 70s early 80s and Wayne tells the story like he he would go out he went out on his first book tour and there was like three or four or seven people and then all of a sudden it started building and building and building and it was this audience that he didn't expect right that that had come from Louise Hay's work uh, and he but he went with it and and he, his biggest lesson when I was kind of down on you know people not enough people coming to see me play or whatever was that you know you don't get to choose that. You just have to put yourself out there, 
you see what happens, and then you know the doors will open, and as they open, you walk through them. Um, and that's a lesson that you know right. I need to keep reminding myself of because uh, that's it's definitely in this age like we just kind of talked about, like like identifying your demographic and marketing just to them and and curating your image just to fit that. You know that that's like the opposite, I think of what's going to lead to more, you know, more creativity and, and joy and fulfillment. And like, that's, that's what you want you do if you, you know, want to post about it on Instagram later, but, uh, I'm, I'm not really built for that. So, uh, so I, it's another way that I think about Wayne quite a bit because he didn't choose his audience and look what happened. Right. Right. Well, it's such a great lesson. And the other, the other lesson that, that kind of comes out of that, which is something that I remember Louise saying all the time is like, when, when you're going in the right direction, people come to you, doors will open. And you, and like you said, you might not choose that. That might not have been what you thought, but then it could open up to something incredibly wonderful that you'd never even thought of that could happen. That's right. Like you, I'm sure you never thought you'd be on stage, you know, with Dr. Wayne Dyer. And, you know, I mean, my, and I kind of saw this as a, uh, something that resonated with me throughout reading your book that I'm sure you could relate to, you know, like uh, if I look over my own trajectory, you know, in life, like when I had started out, like I was just a big music fan that had no music talent. So the, the closest thing I could do is try to get on the radio and play music, you know, and then I'm like, oh, working for rock stations and stuff like that. If you would have told me then, well, you're going to be you know, hosting shows, talking to self-help leaders, <laughs> you know, I would have never believed you that, that that would have happened. But sometimes wonderful things happen in our, in our pursuits, you know, that we don't expect. And, you know, like Louise would say, and Wayne would say, you know, things are coming to you and just, and go with it and, and be accepting exactly. and allow, you know, yep. um, allow those things to happen and, and beautiful things can come your way. So, but, and it's interesting now, like as, and I think, Sometimes it takes getting a little bit older, you know, and you, you touch on that theme as well in the book, um, which I could definitely relate to that, too, <laughs> since we're all yeah. getting older. Right. But sometimes that perspective comes uh, full full circle, very clear. You get that clarity as like you look back and you're like, well, I'm not really where I thought I was going to be. But where where I am is is pretty cool, too. That's um, right. Okay you know, and that. that's the uh, <laughs> that is the sort of the reminder that expectations and, you know, I, actually the name of one of my TEDx talks is Stop Dreaming. And I used to say that, I, I adapted that from a, a Hay House talk that I used to give, right? And I would come on stage with Wayne, you know, after, after Wayne would speak. And the first thing I would say is stop dreaming. And everyone at these self-help events would look at me like I was, you know, in the wrong building, right? Because they're not there to stop dreaming. They're there to be told that, you know, to keep dreaming. And right, my point, yeah, exactly. My, my point with, uh, with stop dreaming was that, you know, once you kind of take the, the focus off of yourself and you start, you know, putting yourself out there in service to other people, for example, like I did with this for the Cinder project, it, it's incredible what can happen. What, what you're supposed to be doing could end up being something bigger and more beautiful than you're dreaming for yourself, right? Like your life could be something, something like so much more majestic than you're dreaming, but you got to let go of those dreams. Um, because if you hold on to them and then you get to the 
point 10, 15 years down the road and you're not where you thought you'd be, you're not, you're not where those dreams were telling you you would go, not only are you, you, are you disappointed, but you've also kind of turned a blind eye to all this incredible opportunity. You know, and I know because I was there. I did that for years with the mu- in the music business. Like I had a focus that I was following that I thought because of all these other inputs, I thought if I just kept my focus clear that X, Y, and Z would happen, you know. And when you do that and you're turned your head one way looking at one thing, you miss everything else around you, right? Um, and that right. that's definitely right. a uh, – that's another reminder that's kind of hard to, hard to in this today's culture. It's hard to keep with you. You know this idea that you know it's all. It's more about taking your talent, your gift. We all have something that we do that's unique, right? That that we love to do. It doesn't have not necessarily artistically. It can be it can be anything. We all have something that we can give in that sense. And so when you you look to look for ways that you could give that in service beautiful things happen. Right. And, uh, I wish I had been more, fo- you know, like more kind of aware of that when I was coming up in the music, music business, but you know, we're not told that, right. We're told to dream big and go after it. And that's where all the great stories and behind the music come from, right? Like that's, that's, I didn't let go of my dream. And, and finally it, and then, it, you know, it, it came true. Everything came true. Um, but as you get into it more, and, and I'm sure you can relate, it, it doesn't, that's not the way the world works per se. And, and it's something that I talk about, it might even be in that chapter, the Rock and Star Place chapter, how big of a factor luck is um, in, in luck. Oh, and that's absolutely. not a bad thing, but how, how big of a, I don't know, it's an incredible impression that luck has on our lives, right? And we get lucky in so, so many different ways. Like some people get lucky with, a, a great parent or they have two great parents or some people get lucky with an incredible singing voice that they can develop or some people get lucky because you know they inherit some money that they can do good with whatever there's all sorts of ways that, that people get lucky in this world um and sometimes you know if something's not working out for you it doesn't mean that you should just keep banging your head against the wall thinking why isn't this working why isn't this working you have to realize that you know it's not that hard work, but what is that word? The, like, the luckier I get, the harder I work or something. I don't, I don't think so. I don't buy into that. Like that is that from my, you know, I'm fortunate to have, um, some really, really successful people in my orbit, like in the music business, you know, multiple Grammys, platinum records, the whole thing. And they'll tell you with a, an incredible degree of humility, how much, luck played into things like they had to be out there they had to kind of be presenting their their gift what or whatever it might be to the world um but whatever kind of tipped the scales is often you know you can't manufacture it you can't right you can't make it up you know and and those people's and then but then what those people did was when they got that break or whatever you want to call it they built on it right they like they worked hard and they developed it and they they took advantage of it and that's where the where a lot of the hard work comes in, I think. But man, like so much of this that you and I are talking about is like letting go of expectation, you know, the letting go of what we think things are supposed to look like and being grateful for the way things are and figuring out how we can live best within, you know, that 
as opposed to what things should be. Exactly. Um, I think that's that, you know, so. No, I totally, I totally agree. And I, and I really loved how that theme, you know, kind of resonates in, in some of the, several of the, the stories that you share in the book. And, and that's also like one of the reasons I even called this show be present, you know, the Diane Ray show, because it's something that I struggle with all the time where I'm always thinking, you know, I find myself living in the future sometimes too much and yep. I want to be happy where I am, where I'm at, which is the only thing that I can control, you know, in, is what's happening right now. So, uh, yeah, it's just a great reminder and, and something for us to to think about in this instant gra instant gratification world that we're in, right? And everybody uh, wants something now or yesterday and you know, right. they get disappointed when they don't get it or things don't turn out the way that you thought. So. Yeah, man managing expectations, you know, in the day-to-day -day world is so interesting. It's been so cool to talk with you. Um, this hour has just kind of flown by. We have just a few minutes left of the show. So I do want people to know what you are working on as Tweety. If you do have another book coming out, you said you're working on another series of essays. Yes, I'm about halfway through now, um, and it'll – it's it's based on a signature that somebody left in one of my yearbooks in eighth grade, which I think is in the the manifesting book right now. But uh, but all of this is true, by the way, and and so it's uh, it's based on that uh, that signature, which you know I didn't understand when I was when I was whatever I think I was in eighth grade. Um, but it, it's uh, it's along the lines of the manifesting. Uh, this manifesting book. It's very much, uh, I don't think it'll have the same, um, well, it's just, it's just the, the next part of the narrative, right? It's, it's what happens next. And so it's going to be, continue to be these observations that I'm seeing, but it's also uh, playing into this for the cinder project that you and I talked about and how that all kind of came to be. Um, it's fun for me to do because this is, like we said, it's alter ego. So I'm, I'm at some point I'm going to make the alter ego and me meet up. It kind of happens in the book at, at the end of this book that we're talking about, but I'm going to make it happen in kind of a, a full circle kind of way. Uh, probably in this book that I'm working on now, it's just, just a lot That's of writing and editing cool. and writing and editing and writing and editing and letting <laughs> it show itself. So, well, I'm really happy that your voice is out there, that Tweety's voice is out there. And I definitely look forward to reading what you've got coming up next. And I hope people join you online. They can find you several places, alexwoodard.com, tweetypark.com. Pick up the manifesting book. It's a fun read. I'm telling you, it's not what you think. You're going to love it. And Alex, I'm really happy that you could join me today on the show. Cool. Thank you for having me. <laughs> This is awesome. I'm Diane Ray. This is Be Present, The Diane Ray Show. And in. Thanks for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Hey, it's Radley Valentine. Join me for a brand new way of connecting with your angels on my new podcast, The Angel Tarot Show. 
Each week, you'll meet your angelic guides and guardians and find new ways to unlock unconditional love, tune into your intuitive abilities, and create the joy-filled life that, well, you've always wanted. Plus, you'll get a useful and timely energetic weather report, bringing you guidance for the coming week. Tap into the healing, hope, and guidance that's all around you on the Angel Tarot Show, exclusively on mindbodyspirit.fm.